Hello, hello, women of strength. It is another day for another amazing story. We have our friend Jamie here, and she is from Nashville, Tennessee. So if you're from Nashville, Tennessee, you're going to want to listen up. I know that a lot of people have been wanting to know where some of our listeners are coming from because they are looking for providers and hospitals and all the things like that in their area. So Today is coming from Tennessee, and she had kind of a traumatic a birth, a traumatic birth, which a lot of us do, and then was able to kind of set a good path and redeem her story with a VBAC. So we're so excited to be sharing this story with you guys today from Jamie. But of course, we have a review of the week. We can never go without sharing one of these amazing reviews, you guys. This is from Apple Podcasts, and it's from Aaron D39. And the subject is planning second VBAC with confidence. So I'm planning my second VBAC in July, and I'm so happy that this podcast is back. So this was actually left in 2022. So last year when we kind of came back, that was awesome. Says the VBAC link is a great resource for anyone considering a VBAC. The stories are empowering and the data presented is affirming. I feel like I am so well prepared for my second VBAC and have this podcast to thank. So Erin, thank you. We have you to thank for leaving this amazing review. And if you guys haven't had a chance, drop a review for us. We love them. We absolutely love them. We read them on the podcast. We have our amazing crew that drops them into this amazing spreadsheet. And I just, I see them come in. And you guys, I seriously, some some of these reviews, I like ball. Like they're so long and so detailed and so amazing. I get chills and I ball. So thank you all for leaving your reviews. You are tuned into the VBAC Link podcast with Megan Heaton, who is a longtime doula and VBAC mom herself, here to help you get inspired for birth after having had a C-section. Along with this podcast, the VBAC Link offers blogs, resources, and a comprehensive VBAC course for both parents preparing for birth and doulas wanting to take their VBAC education to the next level. Be sure to follow Megan and her team on all social media platforms for even more. Although these podcast episodes are VBAC specific, it is encouraged for all expectant moms to listen and educate themselves on how to avoid a C-section from the get-go. The purpose of this podcast is to educate and inform. It is not meant to replace advice from any other qualified medical professional. Here is your host, Megan. Hi, birth workers. This one's for you. In an ideal world, VBAC parents would be treated just like any other birthing parents. In today's world, most medical providers sadly don't fully support VBAC parents. However, 90% of parents with a prior cesarean are good candidates to attempt a VBAC. This is why we have created the Advanced VBAC Doula Certification Program. In this doula course, we share evidence-based data for you to educate your clients, teach you the tools on helping them how to process past fears and trauma, or helping them decide if VBAC is even right for them. You will feel better prepared to support them during this beautiful experience. All VBAC certified doulas are listed on our website so parents know who you are. To learn more, go to the VBAClink.com. Okay, Jamie, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Thank you. I am excited for you to share your stories and talk more about, well, we're going to talk about more about your story, but not getting discouraged along the way. So let's let's talk about it. How? Tell us where it all began. Yeah. So um, Eloise is my first daughter, who's now seven. So we have a very large gap between kids. But Eloise's birth was 
like you said, pretty traumatic for me in a lot of different ways. So we wanted to do a home birth with her, which off the bat, like I'm just a crazy person for wanting to do a home birth. We were in Michigan at the time. And so I was like, I was pretty gung ho about it. And I felt very prepared, like maybe midway through my pregnancy, she was, she ended up being breech. And Mm -hmm. so there was like a lot of things that we tried to do to get her to flip. And like, I spent a lot of time and energy, like worrying that she's a breech baby and what am I going to do? But my midwives were like, if you're comfortable doing a breech, like we're comfortable doing a breech. Oh, wow. That's amazing. This is in Michigan. It was, it was in Michigan. Yeah. So they literally handed me their midwifery books, which were like three inches thick, two of them. And they're like, read this section. So they had me read everything about breech births in their midwifery books. And so I I feel like I'm still like over-educated on breech births just from doing that. Yeah. That's amazing actually though, that you have that opportunity. Yeah. So they, they're like, as after you read this, if you're comfortable doing a breech birth, we're comfortable doing it too. So, and I, I read through everything and I was like, yeah, okay. Like this, this feels good. Mm -hmm. And it was, so she was born in 2016 and it's crazy to say this, but like the information we have available today was not like what it is, what it was back in 2016. So Mm -hmm. just like having those books, I didn't have any other resources to really go to for like breech births or home births or anything like that. But yeah, so I was comfortable doing it. I knew from reading if one single thing went wrong that I was going to be going to the hospital. That was like the midwifery thing. Like typically you've got multiple chances in a regular normal pregnancy, but with breach, it was one thing. So I go into labor and we had thought she flipped, but then I like had my, my waters break and then it was all meconium. So I was like, um, I think she's still breach. And from there, I was kind of freaking out. I ended up getting a fever And one of the assistants walks in and she's like, how are you feeling? And I'm like, I feel awful. And she like, I'm like, I just feel sick. Like I have chills. Like I don't like this. I don't feel Mm. normal. This doesn't feel good. And her jaw like hits the floor and I'm like, oh no, what did I, what did I say? And she takes my temperature immediately. And she's like, you've got a fever. We tried to get it to go down. They gave me like one hour to get it to reduce to a normal, whatever, like normal temperature. And it wouldn't. So I knew right away we're going to the hospital. We end up at the hospital. Michigan isn't very friendly when it comes to home births and midwives. Like I know everyone's still working on that relationship between hospitals and midwives, but Michigan at the time was not very, like there was no cooperation. Mm. So we just had a really bad experience. So we're, we're there. The doctor at one point is like, you're going to be put under when the whole time I was going to be like, they were, everyone else was telling me I was going to be awake. Then he comes in and he's like, you're going to be, I I basically said, I would like to hold my baby. Like I would like skin to skin as soon as possible. And he's like, well, that's not possible. And I'm like, what do you mean? He goes, Uh, he's like, well, you're going to be, you're going to be put under. And I was just like, what, what are you talking about? And my husband looks at me and he's like, are you okay with that? And I was, I was not trying to be any sort of way when I said this, but I just was like, I don't really think I have a choice. Like I was just saying, I'm, I have to be okay with it because I don't have a choice. I wasn't being snarky. Right. And, and he, the doctor was like, you have a choice. And I was like, oh my gosh, I do (laughs) like, tell me more about my choice. And he's, he basically looks me dead in the eyes and he goes, you can leave. And I was like, 
what? So it was just a really like in that it was a really traumatic experience. We ended up, you know, I had the C-section. I got to be awake, which was great. But Eloise ended up being in the NICU for 10 days. And it just felt like I we were trapped. We had CPS called on us. Like there was, there was a lot. Yeah. Yeah. There was, there was a lot happening. It, yeah, it just was, it's like the horror story that you think of when you hear someone trying to have a home birth and then they end up in the hospital and anything that could go wrong went wrong. Eloise was perfectly healthy. It was just like the dynamic of it all that went wrong, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. Um, but yeah, so I, I had a lot to work through and we didn't get pregnant for the longest time and I had no desire really because I just was terrified. I'm like, I don't want to experience this again. I don't know what's going to happen. Like it wasn't necessarily a bodily thing where I was feeling like my body failed me. It was more so just like, like true traumatic, like mental PTSD, I guess. I'm not really sure like how to put it, but we, so we got pregnant in 2020. I had a miscarriage with that baby, but when I found out I was pregnant, I was immediately like, I was not ready. I was terrified. Like there was so Mm -hmm. many things running through my brain. I just didn't know how to handle it. Mm -hmm. And we ended up like, I started the course actually like the, that pregnancy course, like going to an actual doctor. So like off the bat, I was like, I'm just going to go to a doctor because I don't want anything like what happened last time to happen again. I just want to avoid like all the like hoop jumping. And if I'm going to end up there, like I'm just going to go there from the start basically is kind of my mindset. Yeah. And then, so we lost that baby and then come with Delaney, the new baby. She, we got pregnant in 2022 with her and it was just different from the get go. I felt, I think my husband was actually more nervous this time about everything than I was, but I felt just very grounded. I felt confident about it. I was like, I want to do a home birth. I definitely don't want to like be in the hospital and things were still very weird, like with COVID. So that was like another big thing. Cause I'm like, I don't want, I don't want to be like in the, in the last hour telling me that like my husband can't be in the room or, you know, right. just like weird, weird rules like that happening around everything. Right. Um, so yeah, so I, I went, I'm like, I'm going to do a home, a home birth. I'm going to find a midwife. It took me forever to find a midwife. I had, I think I called everyone in the Nashville area and they were either busy or like they were all booked up or they wouldn't take a VBAC or like just not a good fit. Like I had one lady, I get on the phone with her and she's like, well, you know, that uterine rupture is like not something to just be pushed under the rug. And I was like, I literally hung up the phone and I go tell my husband, Matt, and I'm like, I don't know. I'm a crazy person. What am I doing? And she just kind of freaked me out. Yeah. But that just like, um, I find, so I found my midwife around 11 weeks, which I felt like it was pretty late in the game. And from that point, it was just like a roller coaster of ups and downs, like battling stuff within my head, like my head space. My, my pregnancy from a physical standpoint was a little bit rough. Like I just, I don't know. I just felt like my body was kind of old and not functioning well. Like I, I was the person that like couldn't tie their shoes towards the end. Like I couldn't wear any rings cause all my fingers were so swollen and everything. Um, it was just a rough pregnancy physically compared to my first. 
mm-hmm. but also like just dealing with the mental aspect of everything. I would be super confident one day that I'm going to do this and have this home birth and well, not even, not even the home birth, but just have a V back. Like, so yeah. just like, I'm, I can do this, like we're made to do this. And then the next day I'm like, what am I doing? Like, why I like, who wants to do this? Like, maybe I should just sign up for a C-section again. Just all over the place it's- emotionally, really. And that's like yeah. so real though. So many of us do that. We're like, one day we're like, yes. And the next day we're like, what are we doing? Is this right? Yeah. We're questioning yeah. ourselves, right? Yep. Yeah. A hundred percent. So um, I really went into this birth. I, I tried to protect my energy as much as I could, which like I didn't tell a lot of people I was trying to have a home birth because it was already enough trying to do a VBAC. So it was like, it was already weird enough. And so I just, I'm like, I don't want to tell everyone what I'm doing. No one needs to know what my birth plan is besides the people that really matter. And I read a couple books that I felt like were really pivotal, pivotal for me. Um, one was Birthing from Within by Pam England, which I didn't even finish the whole book. I got through like one chapter, but it changed my life because her um, her question, like in the beginning, she says that every pre- every woman has a question that needs to be answered before they can birth their child. And so you mm-hmm. might find your answer to your question like during pregnancy, or you might find it like in transition, or you might find it when you're like about to push the baby out. Like, it's just like, she basically was like, what is your question? And when you think you have your question, you have to dig a little bit deeper because that's probably not your question. Your question's underneath that question. So I spent like Mm -hmm. seven months trying to find my question. And at the end of it, it felt like my, it wasn't so much a question, but I felt that I was punished anytime I tried to go outside of the norm of what like society mm, deems normal. Yeah, yeah. So that was like my big pivotal thing where I was like, wow, okay, I'm not like, I can do this. Like that's a lie that I'm believing that I am going to be punished for trying to do something abnormal. And then there was another book, Reclaiming Childbirth as a Rite of Passage by Rachel Reed. And the whole beginning of the book was talking about her story so like history but for women her story and Mm. and Rachel is a medical doctor so she's an MD and I felt like this book was so like it wasn't super crunchy and it wasn't super medicalized like it was very much right in the middle which I felt was what I needed to hear because she wasn't I didn't feel like she was biased one way or the other but she just laid the facts out of where we started to how we got to where we are now within the birthing industry. And Mm -hmm. it helped me to realize I knew this already going into it, but it helped me to realize that I actually had like really deep rooted, like, like preconceived ideas of what birth was just from how I've grown up in the society that I've grown up watching movies, like listening to stories, like all the, all the stuff that we just see on TV, birth is kind of, this crazy thing that happens. The woman's always out of control. Like the doctor's always there to save the day, all that kind of stuff. And I was like, wow, I'm, I have these opinions of things that aren't even my opinions. They've just been given to me from movies and society and culture. So it really helped to kind of weed through some fear that I was having, realizing that like, I don't have to have this anymore. Like I don't have to believe this because it's not my story. It's not even real, actually. It's just culture. 
So those are like the two big things. And then obviously found your podcast. I also started listening to a free birth podcast. I had no desire in my life to ever free birth ever. But I had read something on Instagram that was like, if you're preparing for birth, prepare to do a free birth. So that way you're, you're aware of everything that could happen and what you can do to like, you know, go through obstacles or, you know, the, the steps and the phases that you'll go through when you're in labor. Mm-hmm. So basically just like be overprepared, even though you're going to have people there to help you. Right. And so that helped a lot. And I just listened to everything I could about any positive experience of someone having a VBAC. And then I hired a doula, not for any other reason, other than it would increase my odds of having a successful VBAC. I still, I still joke to this day that I have no idea what a doula actually does, but I hired one. So it helped me have a V, a V back. I just think, by doing that. <laughs> but yeah, so I, I was just doing all the things that I could come up with to try and like get my head in the right spot and to understand, like set myself up for success. Basically. Right. I took another, I did the Bradley method with my first, with my first daughter and she Bradley method is like a 12 week course. If you're not familiar it's like hours long. So it's very in-depth. But I, I took, I found this lady on TikTok and I took her virtual train for birth class. Her name's Krisha Crosley. And it was, I kid you not, I think it was an hour and a half. And it was the most informative thing I've ever done. Mm-hmm. And it helped me. She, it, her, the whole premise is train for birth. So it's like movements and different things that you can do to become ready to birth your child to get the baby in the right position, like pushing, how to push, different things to do while you're in labor. So when I actually went into labor, she was like in the forefront of my mind of all like, okay, I can't stay in this position for too long. Let me go to the bathroom every five seconds, like make sure I'm drinking my water, like lots of movement when I was actually in labor. And it was all because I took that class. It was amazing. But so we're, that was around like 38 weeks when I took that class. And then my brother and his wife, so my brother, Michael and Ashley came when I was around 40 weeks because Ashley was going to help with Eloise during the birth. And then all in between that, like I'm curb walking, I'm on the ball, like figure eights at just to backtrack a little bit. When I hit 37 weeks, just to give you an idea of where I was at. I went to Costco and ran into one of my midwives and she's like, how are you doing? (laughs) And I'm like, I'm so depressed. It's 37 weeks and I haven't had this baby. Like I just was in my brain. I'm like, okay, it's 37 weeks. So it means I can have the baby, but I haven't had the baby yet. Like I need this baby out of me. Like it's time to go. And she's like, what? You're depressed. I'm like, I'm kidding. Sort of. But like, yeah, I want to have this baby. I really just wish I could have this baby right now. Yeah. 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 So, so yeah, we're, we're nearing the end. They, my brother and sister-in-law come around 40 weeks to help with Eloise. Delaney, the new baby was, I think, LOA, if that's the right, like she was like on the left side, which is occiput anterior. Yeah. And then I think optimal is ROA. Is that correct? Well, it really depends. The LOA is like, so the like because it re, it moves the uterus usually moves in like clockwise. So LOA is like really really good actually because then they just kind of go forward and down. But it all okay. depends on the shape of our pelvis too. Like some babies need to enter on an ROA position. Some of them actually need to enter posterior, which is yeah. frustrating that we have posterior in any sort of later. But sometimes that is how. So yeah, LOA is a really great position. 
So, okay, then she must have been the other way. So she must have been ROA, and then I was trying to get her to go to, to the LOA. left, like LOA. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. So I was, like, trying to do, like, movements to get her to, you know, give her some space so she could turn. And they, the midwives told me that the right side, it's okay, like, but optimal would be LOA because it's just easiest. Mm-hmm. And when you said posterior, that reminded me, I was actually very nervous about back labor because I felt like every podcast I listened to where someone's having a VBAC, all they ever talked about was back labor. So I was just terrified of it. I'm like, on top of doing a VBAC, like if that's not hard enough, like I'm going to do with back labor and all this stuff. So that was just, that didn't happen to me at all. I had no back labor, so it was perfect. But we were, so in Tennessee, my midwives were like, like licensed by the state and they cannot help me past 42 weeks due to their licensure. So mm. we were nearing, we we're nearing the end. I had like a clock ticking. So uh, my brother and Ashley were here, which was stressing me out, not in a bad way, but I was just, I was kind of like under a clock, if that makes sense. I'm like, I need to have this baby because they're here. And then I need to have this baby because I'm nearing 42 weeks. And at that point there, I'm either going to be a crazy person and do unassisted, which doesn't make you crazy, but, or I'm going to have to go to a hospital. Those are my two options because I can't do it with them. Mm -hmm. And then she wanted me to do that test where they test for like movement, heart rate, and like practice breaths or something like that. So I needed to do that in my 41st week just to show like if something happened early 42 weeks that it's okay for me to birth at home with them still. So Mm -hmm. I scheduled that for Friday. So September 2nd, I reluctantly scheduled it and I was like, fine, I'm just going to put it on the books and see what happens. And then my brother actually had to leave on Sunday to go. So my brother leaves on Sunday to go do an interview. Delaney's born on Thursday. I scheduled that test for the next day on Friday. Sun and the next Sunday was my 42nd. So that was like my my heart out if that timeline makes sense. Mm, yeah, yeah. So Michael, my brother left Sunday to do an interview that they scheduled for him that Monday and then him he was going to come immediately back. So he's like if I miss this birth, I'm going to be so mad. And Sunday, we, so Ashley and my husband and my daughter, we went to the splash pad and that was the first day I had a contraction where I was like, oh, okay, like something's happening. I didn't tell anyone because again, I didn't want to be like put under a clock or like feel pressured to have this baby when it wasn't ready or anything like that. So I just like kept to myself, had a couple of contractions Sunday and then that just led to me having contractions every single night. And it was like all night, every night. And then it would die off in the early, like early, early morning. Prodromal labor. Yeah. I'd get a few hours of sleep. And so I'm just getting exhausted. I told Ashley actually maybe like Monday or something. And then she woke up Tuesday and was like, so like, did Jamie have any more contractions? She was asking my husband. I didn't even tell my husband this. And my husband was like, she was having contractions. (laughs) What are you talking about? So I literally just kept everything like I was like, uh, my lips are sealed. I kept everything to myself. I texted my midwife on Tuesday. So this is Sunday. I had no sleep. Monday, I had no sleep. Texted her Tuesday. And I'm like, hey, I've been having contractions. Nothing is sticking around. Like everything stops and I have nothing all day. And then it starts again at night. And she's like, cool, uh, nothing to worry about. Like just, 
you know, everything's normal, sounds good, like no big deal. My brother did make it back because he came back like Monday evening. So he was here for everything. Um, and then Wednesday was my absolute breaking point. So Wednesday comes, Michael and my husband go shooting. And then we, the girls, all of us, we go to this park just to hang out. I had this massive contraction as we're leaving that stopped me in my tracks. And I just, I literally just hung back and I'm like, yeah, you guys, uh, just keep walking. Go ahead. I'll, I'll just meet you there in a second. Like, I'm just like stopped in the middle of everything. And Ashley, my sister-in-law is like, okay. And they just like keep walking to the car and then I catch up later. And she's like, so I think we want to go to the grocery store to get some stuff for dinner. And in my head, I'm like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to make it because I'm, I'm emotionally at the end of my limit. And then physically also like the contractions were intense, but it was more just like an emotional thing where I'm like, I can't do this again. Like I'm going to have another sleepless night. Like it's already starting. It's like five o'clock. This is awful. So we go to the grocery store and it was my sole focus just to not have a mental breakdown and start sobbing hysterically in the middle of the grocery store. So we go, I make it through and we get home and I immediately go upstairs just to be alone. And I put a movie on to start watching and have these random contractions that happened. And looking back, it's funny because like the first stage of labor, they always say that the woman just like goes into a cave and wants to be alone. And I, in my brain, I was ready. I'm like, I'm going to pay attention so I can see the signs and make sure that I know I'm going into labor. Never once crossed my mind that I was like entering a cave to like be by myself and, you know, (laughs) never crossed my mind. Yeah. I just wanted, I just was, I just was thinking I'm going to have another sleepless night and I'm drained emotionally. I think I cried. Then dinner was ready. It's like six o'clock. So I go downstairs, I shovel dinner into my mouth and then have another massive contraction at the table. And I just sit there silently and I'm, I'm like, I'm going upstairs. And then I, I like run back upstairs and I literally, I put this movie back on and I'm like hysterics, like sobbing uncontrollably. Like, I just don't know that I can do this again. I get very crazy when I don't have any sleep. And so this was like, I just was thinking like future thinking about how this night was going to go where I'm going to have these crazy contractions and then I'm not going to sleep on top of it. So I was just a mess. So I go back upstairs. I have a couple breakdowns. I'm extremely exhausted. I started timing my tra- contractions around like seven, seven Oh six was my first contraction. Delaney was born or not first contraction, but like my first timed one where I was like, maybe I should see what's happening here. Mm-hmm. And Delaney was born at one twenty AM. So it was like six hours from start to finish basically, wow. but nothing was consistent whatsoever. So I'm upstairs like with the peanut ball doing all the moves, like trying to go through the mile circuit to make sure she's in the right position and all that stuff. I texted the night midwife. So they had like a 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. and then a 7 p. to 7 a. So depending on when I went into labor, that's who I'd be talking to. So I texted the night midwife around 8.30 with a picture of my contractions, like my timed out stuff. And I I wanted to take a Benadryl so I could go to sleep. (laughs) Like, I'm like, is it okay if I take a Benadryl? Like, why be okay? I just don't know. Like, if it picks up, is it going to be like, am I going to be exhausted and trying to push the baby out? And she's like, no, (laughs) she's like, if you take a Benadryl and you actually go into labor, like you're going to be fine. Trust me. I was like, okay. She's like, take a bath. If things slow down, like then, then go to sleep, like try to get some rest. If they don't slow down, then 
you're going to like call me and let me know. And so I took a bath. Nothing really happened. I kicked my husband out of the room like multiple times because I just wanted to be by myself. And I don't think I let him stay until like 930, 10 o'clock at night. And I, I was waiting for these clues. So like I lost my mucus plug, which in my brain, I don't even know if this is accurate, but in my brain, that meant I was around three centimeters. And my husband was like, do you want me to call someone? And I'm like, no, I'm three centimeters, if anything. And so like, I've still got like 24 hours of labor to go. Like this is, I'm, I'm in trouble basically is what I was thinking. So I was waiting for my bloody show, which meant I'd be like five centimeters. Again, don't know if that's accurate, but that was just what was in my brain. So almost immediately after I lost my mucus plug, I like within like an hour, it felt way more immediate than that. But within an hour, I had bloody show like happening all over the place. And so my doula was an hour away. And so... I told, I'm like, okay, fine, call the doula. And this is me caving to my husband. I'm like, call the doula. She's an hour away. So just have her come, I guess. And he calls the doula. And in my brain, I'm like, I hope I'm still in labor when she comes here. I just was very nervous that everyone was going to get to the house. And then I was going to either stall out or this wasn't really it. And then they're all going to leave. And I had wasted everyone's time. Or they're all just like sitting around twiddling their thumbs watching me like go through labor. So that I did not want that to happen at all. But he calls, um, he calls a doula, talks with her and she, he's like, she says, okay. And then he calls her again. She hears me in the background and she's like, okay, I'm coming. Like I'm going to, I'm coming on my way. So that happens. I'm telling Matt, I'm like, can you go fill up the tub, please? Not so I can have a baby in the tub, but just so I can get some relief. Cause again, I'm thinking I'm going to be here for like many, many more hours. So he calls the midwife and tells her that the doula is on the way just to give her an update. And that's probably like around 1130. And she's like, okay, great. Like, let me know when you need me to come. He goes down, fills the tub up and then comes back upstairs. Again, time is lost in this, in this space. He comes back upstairs, calls the midwife again And the midwife hears me in the background and she's like, I'm on my way. And then just hangs up and she's like, she was only like 30 minutes from us. So she's, she hears me and she's like, oh my gosh, I'm coming. And Mm -hmm. at that point, I'm trying to go down the stairs. It takes me three full contractions to get down the stairs. Matt's talking to the doula. She's, she's like, does she feel pushy? I'm like, I don't know what pushy feels like because I've never done this before. And at some point, like on the stairs, I felt Delaney like, I felt her like take position. I don't really know how else to say it, but it just felt like she dropped down and was like right there. And I'm still not thinking I'm about to have a baby. So like, even that doesn't, I'm just like, okay, like this, I'm in it for the long haul here. So I finally get down the stairs. I get in the tub again, just to find relief, not trying to have a baby here. And Matt's like trying to make a smoothie I'm chaotic. Like I was not a calm laboring person. I was very loud. And at this point, like when the bloody show happened, it was my, I stopped my, I stopped timing the contractions at 1132 PM. And at that point I was just like, forget it. I don't care. But then when the bloody show happened, it was one on top of another, on top of another, on top of another. And I had no relief, like nothing Mm. whatsoever. So it was just, it was wild. So I get into the tub. I'm yelling every time a contraction comes. 
Matt's trying to make a smoothie and I'm yelling. I'm like, I need you here right now. My daughter is crying because I'm being so loud. So (laughs) I get into the tub and I have like three contractions in the tub. I, on like the second contraction, I push her head out. My, and I'm just, I'm just like, I'm having a baby. And there was no, the coolest part about it was there was no fear. Like it was very natural, very primal. I never for once thought like, oh my gosh, no one is here yet. And I'm, I am pushing this baby out. So I get her head out and my brother is right there <laughs> and sees, sees the head and he's like, Jamie, oh you've got it. The, the head is out. You've got it. You've got to push the rest of the baby out now because he's thinking like the head is out and she's drowning underwater. And oh. I'm just like, like, no, it's okay. It's okay. And I'm just, I'm, I have like all these things in my brain from what the midwives had told me. I'm like, okay, so I birthed her underwater. So I have to stay underwater. I can't yeah. get out and go back in. So I have like all these things like going through my head. The next contraction comes and she's out and on my chest. And it was like, no one was there except <laughs> my brother, Ashley, my husband and my daughter. The midwife walked in literally one minute after she was born. Then the doula ran in and then (laughs) the the assistant ran in. Yeah. So it was like one after another and everyone walks in with their jaws on the ground and was like, what, what just happened? I'm like, I don't know. I just had a baby and it was, here we are. Holy cow. (laughs) So that's my, my VBAC story. I did it and it was, it was great. And I wouldn't have wanted it any other way. I mean, it would have been nice to have a team of people there, but that wasn't how it was supposed to happen. So it worked out perfectly. Oh, that's okay. Yeah, yeah. I'm so glad. I love how your brother's like, uh, <laughs> like it's time to go. Yeah, Got to get yeah. the rest out. Yeah. I mean, but like you would see that and that would make sense. Right. Yeah. Yep. So, oh my gosh. I love that. Um, so first of all, huge congratulations. Thank so you. awesome. So, so awesome. And yeah, just like, let's talk about overcoming your fears, right? Like you had this, I mean, talking about your first birth, (laughs) I mean, CPS, all the things like, yeah, you have options. Oh yeah. Let me tell me here. My options go leave. You have no options other than to, you know, it's like, yeah, yeah. So much surrounded, you know, that could have carried forward in this next birth. So what are some tips from the, for the listeners that you would give to say like, okay, like, so we're reading, we're taking this course, we're reading these books. What other types of things would you say are some key components to overcoming your fears and getting to the point where you're, you're literally birthing. You're not alone, but you're, you're here, you're birthing alone like this, right? Where you're like, yeah, I've got this. I'm strong you know, yeah. any tips that you have? Yeah. I mean, for me, I would suggest just really, really, really protecting your energy. And what that looks like is like not, I mean, not even watching a movie with a crazy birth scene in it and not talking to people who have opinions on how you're going to birth your baby. Like just, just trying to stay within the scope of healthy, positive stuff even like even some of the Instagram accounts that will give you statistics and they're trying to be helpful but sometimes reading those statistics send you on a spiral and so it was just like really really trying to hone in and stay close to what you know to be true 
focusing on the fact that you want to have this VBAC, that it is safe to have a VBAC and everything else, just kind of block it out. And unless it's a positive experience, like don't listen to it, don't talk about it, like just focus on you and what you're trying to do. Yeah. Hone in on what's important to you, right? Like, yeah, because yeah, there's a lot of outside static. And like you said, like, I mean, we're right here at the VBAC, like we're guilty of posting statistics, right? And statistics can be very helpful for some and it can be something that creates fear or angst as well. Yeah. And so if you know, if you know that that is not something that can keep your space safe and cause angst, then don't, yeah, like you said, don't read it. Don't look at it. Don't like put it away. If you're wanting to know those numbers to make you feel better, okay, then there you go. Or if you're wanting to not hear any, uh, like we've had listeners like, we couldn't listen to any repeat cesarean stories, like because they were not what we could have in our space. And that is okay too. You can filter through, right? And then some people are like, I wanted to know all the possible outcomes. And so you got to find what is best for you. And like you said, protect your space because your space is what matters. For sure. Right? Oh, well, thank you so, so, so much for being with us today and sharing uh, with us this amazing story. And totally unexpected. I bet your team was just freaking out driving. Like, yeah. I, wish, yeah. I wish we could have had like a dash cam, like right. looking at them <laughs> or even That's just funny. theirs, just to see like their pattern of driving. I bet they're weaving in and out and really, really, really rushing to you. But like you said, it all worked out how it was supposed to be. All was well. And here you are sharing your story and inspiring others. Thank you. Well, thank you again so much for having me. I hope it helps. Oh, it will. It will. Interested in sharing your VBAC? Head over to the VBAClink.com slash share to submit your story. For information on all things VBAC, including online and in-person VBAC classes, the VBAC blog, the worldwide database for VBAC doulas, and more, head over to the VBAClink.com. Congratulations on starting your journey of learning and discovery with the VBAC Link.